Welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Bree, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode one. The day is finally here. We get to introduce ourselves and what we're doing and actually release the show that everybody's so excited about. I'm so happy people are excited. I think I am more excited than anyone else, though. And if you are listening to this on the day of release... Fry and I will currently be together in Chicago, celebrating both my bachelorette and the launch of this show. That's absolutely correct. It's going to be really sweet. And we're we're recording this in advance, so I'm still really looking forward to it. I guess we should start talking about what we are and what this show is going to be. If you have listened to Rex Factor or shows that are inspired by it, like Totalis Rankium and Saga Thing, then you probably have a good idea of what's to come because this series is directly inspired by what they do or completely ripped off from what they do. Graham and Allie from Rex Factor have been awesome enough to give us their blessing to work off their format. And by the way, if you have somehow made it to this podcast without listening to Rex Factor, Totalis Rankium, and Saga Thing, make sure you add them to your list immediately, because they are really fun, they are really big, and we are just getting on board the hype train that they have already started. That's true. You could maybe pause us and go listen to them first. Yes, yes. Come back to us in, in four months from now when you've finished all of the episodes, because there's a lot of them, and uh, we'll be waiting. Pontifax. In this podcast, each episode, we are going to look at a single pope. We're going to go through their life and their papacy, however long or short that will make an episode, and then we're going to rate them based on our unique, very objective, not subjective at all, completely valid and useful categories. We're absolutely the most reliable narrators. We are what has happened. We are all truth so before we get into the format of the show, and the rounds that we're going to be using to pass our less-than-divine judgment, we have a very important question to answer. Who is that pope? Yes, exactly. Who counts as a pope, even? Because if you start l searching around for lists of all the popes, you're going to find out that lists vary a lot. When we were researching, we've seen lists from 250 up to over 308 or more. So why are people confused about who is Pope and who is not Pope? Well, first off, some of these lists include some or all of the 42 anti-Popes, which are people who have made a claim against the conventionally elected Pope with enough of a church following that they're actually competitive. And sometimes sources find it challenging to even decide who the Pope was and who the anti-Pope was based on who actually had more church support or who didn't. Oh, yeah. On, on Wikipedia, there's like little like, this is the Pope, but also maybe this guy was the Pope. Or maybe these three people at once were all Popes. Sometimes they have problems deciding. Other lists have included self-declared popes or cult leaders who have appropriated the title to manipulate people. Probably not what we want to include on our list. Not the official list, no. There are also popes of Antioch and Coptic popes in Alexandria, which have acted as the patriarchs for Eastern Orthodox churches 
and some of these popes end up on papal lists. And this is most likely because St. Peter was both the patriarch of Antioch and then of Rome, and so parsing out which successor is the right successor has kind of muddied the waters a little bit. And this is also down to historical error and misunderstandings. There are popes who have been counted twice on certain historical catalogs because of variances in their names, like Anacletus, who is often cited as two separate people, Cletus and Anacletus. There are also lots of naming and numbering issues, and then there are popes who end up being dropped from the records after the fact for later being considered not legitimate, and they're not always brought back in more recent copies of the list. Oh, are they constantly, like, illegitimate popes then, if they aren't brought back? Yeah, they sometimes just strike someone from the record and they'll say, oh, this pope was considered legitimate for 300 years, and now he's not. 300 years, that man must be rolling in his grave. I was the pope! There's also some, like, some super weird fumbles in there, like how there was never a Pope John the 20th. They just jumped right to 21. Look, they get to pick their own name, so maybe he just liked the number 21 better. Well, it is a lucky number for some. It's true. So the way that we're going to deal with this problem is we are going to stick to the official list that is given in what is called the Annuario Pontifico. God, that's a mouthful. Yes, it basically means Pontifical Yearbook. It's released every year. It's the official annual directory for the Holy See. It lists all of the popes to date every year, but it also provides the complete lists and contact information for the Roman Curia departments, all of the cardinals and bishops in the Catholic Church, statistics about the diocese, and a lot more administration. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. That's a long book. It is a very long book, and it's very large, and I totally want to get a copy when I go to Rome. This is the accepted list according to the Vatican today, and so this is what we will go by. And this puts us at a list of 266 official popes. So what happens if they uh, change their mind? Because this is going to take us, like, several years. Then we're going to have to come back to it and add episodes in. And we're also going to do all of the anti-popes and the legendary popes and the self-appointed popes as bonus episodes. So maybe if somebody gets brought up at the last minute and suddenly they're legitimate again, we'll, we'll make a really special bonus episode about them. And if you're following at home, this makes it really easy for you, because if you go to Wikipedia and you type in list of popes, the list that we're going to be using is the same one that they reference. So I know people hate on Wikipedia, but on this case, you can follow it. But also spoilers. If you don't want to have spoilers about the popes that existed 2,000 years ago, um, don't look. Does it count as spoilers if it's 2,000 years old? <laughs> History never counts as spoilers. There's one more thing that we need to cover before we get into the actual show concept, and that's that we are talking about religion. Had you picked up on that? This is obviously a topic that could make some people very upset. Religion is touchy business, and theology is massively complicated, and neither of us are qualified to really comment on it. Nope. But that's not going to stop us from commenting on it, or coming to very underqualified decisions about what definitely happened, what it all means, 
but now you've been warned. We could have a corrections-type corner segment if we have to. Yes, we will. Absolutely. So what you need to know about this show is we are not coming at this as Catholics invested in Catholicism. We're papal history nuts. I mean, you are. Or at least I am, and you're coming for the ride. Yes. <laughs> oh no! It's gonna be a fun ride. I have made a decision and signed up for something without reading all of the fine prints. It's too late now. So for the most part, we're dealing with the popes from a purely historical standpoint. And when we deal with fantastical sources and hagiographies, we will be making the decisions about what definitely, definitely happened, and we will put all the doubt to rest once and for all. Now with that out of the way, it's time to go over how we're going to rate the popes. Papatum infallium. This is our holiness category. Papatum infallium is for the overall success of the papacy, looking at how it affects the religion, the church, and the actual intentions of the pope. So how this category is going to be judged is going to shift based on the personality and the character of the pope. If they're a fighty pope, did the fighty benefit the church? If they are a learned pope, did their popery add or take away from papal infallibility? Did they make things difficult? Did they cause schisms? That kind of stuff might make them lose points. So for this category, Fry and I will each award a score out of 10 for a total of 20 points. Fructus prohibitum? This is our category for forbidden fruit and bad behavior. Mmm, I'm here for the scandals. This is the sin, the sex, the scandal, the crazy, brutal, and pope fane things that you could hope for. Pope fane? Oh my god. <laughs> pope fanity. You've gotta watch your pope fanity. So anything that a pope would need to bring to the confessional is gonna end up here. Should be a very fun category. I imagine that they go to the confessional with themselves, and then they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. They actually have a confessor. <gasps> Each pope has a, a personal confessor. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Again, for this category, we will award out of 10. So there's a total of 20 points for this most scandalous pope. Ready to be grabbed. Oh, that's dirty. Secular rye impactum. So this is for worldliness and mass appeal. This is where we're going to judge the Pope based on how their papacy affected the everyday people. Were they starting civil wars? Or were they negotiating peace between kings? Was Rome sacked because of an obstinate Pope? Were Christians being persecuted and taking heat off the general population? No pun intended. Is the Pope advocating for human rights? This is a category that can go in a number of different directions. We'll consider all of the impact on pagans, Jews, Protestants, and non-Christians of all varieties as history progresses. Again, we'll score out of 10 for a total of 20. Fossium Sanctus. This is where we will judge a book by its cover by scoring the popes based on their physical appearance and depictions in art. Basically, we're gonna swipe right or left, depending on how hot they are. If they've got a douchey face, we're gonna tell them they have a douchey face. You know, and a lot of popes are portrayed in very specific ways, with very specific items, and so we will be scoring this based purely on our amusement and interest. We will include any physical descriptions from contemporary or historical sources, if there are any. There are some great ones so far. 
And because we don't want this category to have too much weight in the overall outcome and scores, we're going to give our scores out of 10 each and then divide them by four because that gives us nice fractions. Oh, fractions. Math. Clean fractions. All right. Can't judge them more on how hot they are. Fine. Well, we are going to count it. You know, for some of these popes, their scores might actually need the boost. Are there some terrible popes that are really hot? Is that what you're telling me? There could be. We're on this adventure to find out. I have not looked at any of their photos, so it'll all be a surprise. Yes, and that's the other thing. We're going to show you the photo, and you get to describe it to people. This is the only way we get around having an, a visual component on an audio podcast. Tempus Pontificus. There is no surprises in this category. This is where our popes will scoop up a couple points based on how long their papacy lasted. Considering that the pope is almost always an older man, although that wasn't always the case, the pontificates aren't super, super long as a whole. We still don't want this to have as high of an impact on the overall scores. So the length of the papacy will be rounded to the nearest year, and then divided by four for those nicely divisible fractions. I've already worked out what the highest score in this category could be, and so we know that nobody's going to score more than an 8.5. You did the math. I did. I did the math. Well, I didn't have to do the math, so thank God. There's a spreadsheet that will do the math. Ooh. All right, everybody, it's the cannon bonus round! Do, 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 do. We're going to give one bonus point to any pope that has been canonized. And if they're a patron saint, we're going to discuss it. And if they're not, Fry, you get to decide what they're going to be a patron saint of. Start thinking. I will. Because there's a lot of saints that have not been a patron saint of something. They don't have a thing? They don't have a thing. And they should have a thing. <sighs> yeah, they should. So you better start thinking. The Papal Bull! And finally, we arrive at the single most important question for Pontifax, which is where we ask, are they worthy of a Papal Bull? Papal Bulls are for the popes who are the most interesting, the most memorable, who have made a mark on history, have a strong personality, and poped so hard that they deserve our recognition. Papal Bulls are for popes we want to tell people about, and the ones that made us want to do this podcast in the first place. Popes that achieve the Papal Bull will go to the pearly gates and will eventually be raided against one another in the ultimate showdown to determine which pope was the popiest pope that ever poped. Will someone be popey enough to take the keys from the pearly gates away from St. Peter himself? Only time will tell. If a pope does not win a Papal Bull, then they go straight to purgatory. Sorry, can't help you out. Now, if we disagree about a pope's worthiness, then it comes down to divine intervention. You will learn very quickly on this podcast that Fry and I are both Dungeon and Dragons nerds. So we are going to roll a d20. We sure are. 1 to 10 is a no, and 11 to 20 is a yes. And in the event of a critical roll for a natural 20, we're going to heed the word, and that pope will get a straight shot pass to the semifinals. What if they roll a net one? Straight to purgatory. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I don't think we can condemn a pope to hell. I mean, that might be getting a little too blasphemous. Let's try not to. Let's skirt the line a little. Because the other ones are going to purgatory. Yeah, so, so I guess maybe they tripped. <laughs> they tripped on their way to purgatory? 
What a wonderful dice rolling sound effect. I have rolled a six. That Pope would not be going to the pearly gates. Nope. Now, we don't have a lot of historical background that we can really cover in this series, since we'll be starting with St. Peter. The origins of Christianity, the life of Christ, and all of that that goes along with it should be a whole series in itself and should be done by someone who knows enough about theology. Or someone who, for some reason, feels like they want to, like Anne Rice. What's that about? <laughs> Shots fired. She's going to sue us. Watch out. Oh, no. We said her name and she's going to sue us. We don't have sweet, sweet podcast dollars yet. So instead of historical background, I'm going to give you some background on how to become Pope and who chooses the Pope. So in the beginning, the Pope would have just been chosen by the senior clergy in Rome with the surrounding areas. But in about 1059, this was restricted down to just the cardinals. And in 1179, the cardinals' votes were equalized so that each vote had the same weight, and all the cardinals worldwide had a vote. Today, the vote is still done only by cardinals, with the added restriction that in order to be able to vote, they have to be under the age of 80 on the day before the death or abdication of the former pope. If you're super old, you don't get to vote. In 1274, at the Second Council of Lyon, it was made a rule that cardinals had to remain in seclusion while electing a new pope, mainly because in 1268, after Pope Clement IV died, there was a three-year sede vacante, or vacant seat, while they tried to elect someone new. Being sequestered is a really good way to motivate people to make a decision and prevent interference and bribery. Oh yeah, it's like jury duty, where they lock you in a room. Yes, exactly. It's probably where they got the idea for jury duty. Three years though, damn. Mm-hmm. They just weren't up to making a decision. So the question is, if you wanted to become Pope, how would you do it? First off, Fry, I must sadly tell you that neither you or I will ever be Pope. Oh, uh, no. We don't have the right stuff. And by right stuff, I mean bits. Because the most basic requirement to be Pope is to be a man. Unless you count Pope Joan, but we're saving that story for a bonus episode. Because of that legend, by the way, another legend sprung up that the newly elected Pope used to have to sit on a sedes stericoria, a chair with a hole in the seat. Oh. Yeah, so that their, um, bits could be verified. Gotta verify those bits, wow. This is likely just a legend. And the sedes stericoria that is rumored to be at the Vatican on display is likely just a grand toilet, not for feeling old man bits at all. So technically, you also have to be a baptized Catholic. Fair. They do that real young, so like, it's not, it's not that hard. There's a low barrier for entry. The reason for this is because you have to be at least eligible to be ordained as a bishop in order to be elected. You don't have to be a bishop, but you have to be able to be able to be. Because upon election, you will be ordained as a bishop before your election can be publicly announced. Oh. So just anybody can be Pope? Yes. It's more likely that you need to be a cardinal, but popes throughout history have been elected without this. Pope Urban VI in 1378 was the last non-cardinal bishop to become Pope. Pope Gregory the Sixteenth was the last non-bishop to be elected in 1831, and the last to be elected while not even a priest 
was Pope Leo X in 1513. Crazy stuff. It's those Medici. Oh yeah, they'll, they'll do ya. But this hasn't happened in a very long time. So we're going to look at what's expected for today's Pope. So you would have to be educated in the catechism and join the seminary for an undergraduate degree, moving on to a graduate degree in theology for the title of Master of Divinity, or MDiv. Then you can serve as a deacon for a minimum of six months before becoming priest, with the vows of celibacy and obedience, and in some orders, poverty. They gotta do their internship. So as a priest, you can run a congregation and perform the sacraments, which are baptism, confirmation, matrimony, the Eucharist, penance, anointing the sick, and holy orders. They can also conduct mass and hear confessions. And if you're an especially good priest that gets noticed for distinction, you can earn the title of Monsignor. And this is helpful because the next step to becoming Pope is to become a bishop. Which you can't do unless you're already a Monsignor. We will go into much, much greater details of the church hierarchy in a later episode. But for now, what we need to know is that a bishop is the chief priest of a diocese, and they generally run the cathedrals. There are about 5,100 bishops in the world, which is about 1.2% of the priests. So it's a pretty competitive market, especially when you consider that the only way to become a bishop is to wait for an opening when a bishop dies or is retired at 75. Or, you know, has like a heart problem or something and gets forcefully retired. Exactly. But just having a spot open up in your area isn't quite good enough. Because all the while, current bishops have been compiling a list of potential replacements that they do in total secrecy and voted on only by current bishops. So if you're not on that list, you don't have a shot in hell. If he doesn't like you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna succeed him. And even then, the bishops could approve you, only to be rejected by the Pope or the Papal Nuncio, which is the Pope's representative. So to make this list at all, you should be over the age of 35, closely connected with your parish and community, closely connected with your current bishop and the archbishop, and should have probably also gotten your doctorate in theology somewhere along the way. It's a lot to ask. I mean, if you're already committed that far, doing the extra steps is not that much more difficult. Then you need to become a cardinal. Cardinals aren't in charge of the other bishops, they basically just have special designation and some extra responsibilities within the church as a whole. Cardinals are only appointed by the Pope, and at any given time, only 4% of bishops will ever become cardinals. Today, there are 214 cardinals. Seems like a lot, but it's not that many. Well, it's really not that many. Considering they have to go all over. Yeah, that covers the entire world of... The faithful. So then when a pope dies or resigns, the College of Cardinals is convened into the Sistine Chapel to elect a new pope, and any cardinal under the age of 80 is allowed to vote. The official process is called the conclave, which is Latin for locked with a key. Very, very unique and creative name. And the conclave begins with the eligible cardinals taking a vow to adhere to the rules of conclave and not to speak about the conclave after it's concluded on pain of excommunication. Ooh, that's a tall order there. <laughs> wow. You can't go to the press and talk about who was bribing who or who was negotiating for the spot. Nothing can be said about it or you will be excommunicated. 
Then they very loudly declare the phrase, extra omnes, which is basically telling everybody to get out. Get the f*** out. And then the cardinals are left alone to vote. This is the time where the candidates who are being considered should let their peers know that they would be willing to accept the nomination. Voting happens four times a day in the conclave. Four times? Yes. I didn't know that. Jeez, because, you know, like, the last time when they were voting, they are like, oh, we didn't decide on anybody, and then they just put up the smoke. They did that four times and still didn't decide on anybody? It gets more complicated than that. They vote twice in the morning, twice in the afternoon, six days a week, with one day for prayer. You gotta uphold the Sabbath, man. Each vote requires the cardinals to write their selection down on a ballot and then declare out loud as they're casting the ballot, one whom under God I think should be elected. So they gotta do this every time that they vote. Every time, every time. Oh. So this is why they only vote four times a day. Because everybody has to say the longest sentence in history and can't just put the piece of paper in the box. And there are 214 cardinals. So the votes are collected, they are counted, and then they are burned. In order to win, a cardinal has to get two-thirds of the votes, which is why the conclave usually lasts several days or even several weeks. The burning of the ballots is the only way that the progress of the conclave is shown to the public because the smoke coming out of the chimney is colored to indicate the result. Black smoke, fumata nera, colored with a chemical, lets the world know that a majority has not been reached. White smoke, fumata bianca, means that there is a majority vote and a new pope is coming. Uh, that's a weird way to say it. After he has to put his dangly bits in the chair. Well, you gotta have some fun. The dean of the College of Cardinals then asks the person who has been elected two things. First, they ask, Do you freely accept your election as Supreme Pontiff? If the answer is yes, the new elected pope says, Accepto, and the papacy begins in that moment. Do they sometimes say no? They do sometimes say no. And here's what happens if they say no. Then the papacy just begins at the inauguration several days later. I don't want to be Pope. Too f bad. And then, of course, the thing that they ask next is, by what name shall you be called? And the Pope-elect gets to choose their new pontifical name. What if you weren't expecting to be Pope and didn't have a name chosen? I think if you're a cardinal, you've probably got a name in the back of your head somewhere. Oh, you've got, you got your, your dream Pope name? What if someone takes it? Oh, <laughs> then it's going to be Pope fight. Guess that should be Cardinal fight. So once he's chosen his dream Pope name, he is led through the door of tears to be dressed in papal vestments. What the f***? That's what it's called because it's supposed to be a somber contemplation of your holy duty. Fair. You should be moved emotionally. You're not supposed to be excited at all. Only sadness. And then, when you get to the other side, they dress you in your papal vestments, which they have laid it out in small, medium, and large, so they can accommodate a pope of any size. Okay, so you just, you get the default vestments until someone can come tailor them? Exactly. What what about the popes that, that say no? Are they left in that room then? For the next three days? They have to still go through this process. They're probably being forced. They're probably like... What is your Pope name? And he's sitting there going, Pope Nope. 
Pope Nope the first, the Pope of Nope. They're also given the fisherman ring by the Camerlengo, who is the head of the papal household, and the new pope then has to decide on the spot whether they want to confirm the previous Camerlengo to keep his job or appoint someone new. Oh, you can just be like, leave. Bye. Also, what does this ring look like? Show me the bling. Is Frank's really pretty? Frank's is very, very simple. I've shown you the bling. The fisherman's ring actually shows a picture of St. Peter on his boat casting his net out into the water. And this is a representation of the apostolic succession that comes from Peter, unbroken, passed down through the popes. So it is a reference to the first pope. If you look at these rings, why don't you describe them a little bit? All right, so most of them look like, uh, if you're an American, we had all those quarters and the state quarters, and they had just pictures of things. They look a lot like that, but just flat on top of a, a gold ring. So they cast a new fisherman's ring for each pope, and traditionally, they have been made out of gold. Francis will not wear one made out of gold. He would only accept one made out of silver because of the humility and the... That's nice of him. It looks like this one, this one I'm looking at here is, has the top, the quarter, as it were, is gold, but the rest of it is silver. That might be his. Also, this one looks like a, it's like a goddamn Hail Hydra symbol. I don't understand it at all. Which one are you looking at? It's got like a Pope hat and the little cloth and the circular friends. <laughs> <laughs> circular friends. <laughs> oh my god, those are the papal keys. <laughs> what are they? They're the papal keys. Oh. It's two it's two <laughs> keys crossed. They're upside down because Peter had the keys. Okay. We're gonna get there. The circular friends. On that note, when a pope dies, they actually take the their um fisherman's ring and they score it so they cut through whatever design that is on it so in order to say that their papacy has now been concluded and a new one will be struck at some point those circular friends were destroyed oh no goodbye circular friends so now our pope is named and dressed and they are then brought out onto the balcony of saint peter's basilica and they are announced with the following phrase. They say, Anuntio vobis gaudium magnum habimus papum, which translates to, I announce to you a great joy, we have a pope. The new pope can say a few words, then leads a traditional blessing called the Urbi et Orbi, to the city and the world. And boom. Papacy in effect. Do all the cardinals have to memorize that? I would hope so. Could you imagine getting up there and fumbling with your papers? Just being like, I wasn't expecting to be Pope today. I noped. <laughs> I am Pope Nope. Also, until about 1978, this was followed with a whole papal coronation procession, with a mass and the crowning of the Trirignum, which is the papal tiara, and then they'd all get together and a bundle of flax was burned with a declaration of Sic Transit Gloria Mundi, thus passes worldly glory. Wow. This was a warning to the new pope against papal hubris, because flax burns very fast, 
very bright, and then it snuffs out very quickly. So this is like a like a very thinly veiled threat, I guess, for the Pope to, you know, not get too full of himself. Who's the last Pope that had to watch the threat? That was Pope John Paul I. Oh, okay. He was the last one to be threatened with not getting too full of himself. <laughs> threatened with the flax. So they didn't give it to Pope John Paul II. Is he directly after Pope John Paul I? He sure is. And he didn't have to watch that. He did not. We're in a new era of popes where they can be as hubristic as they want. Apparently. Although that is not where the current papacy is at all, so good on you, Francis. Perhaps he had a private flax burning. Why does that sound like something Francis would absolutely do? And with that, we come to the end of our first episode of Pontifax. We hope you enjoyed listening. Before we end, we have a whole bunch of thank yous to get through. So first of all, first and foremost, we need to thank Rex Factor for being our original inspiration and blessing us quite literally with their support to do this show. So thank you, Graham. Thank you, Allie. We're having so much fun with it. That's awesome of you. Second, we need to thank Totalis Rankium, who has been supporting us like crazy. And Rob did our wonderful, wonderful logo, which we're in love with. So we are super legit now, and we look like we belong as part of the Rexypod family. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Totalis Rankium. And thank you for mentioning us on your show. That was really cool, too. We also have a lot of incredible podcasts and people who have been getting the buzz going for us and tweeting about us and building our audience before we're able to release anything. And that's really, really amazing. So we want to thank Saga Thing. I want to thank author LJ Trafford, who has written an amazing book series about the Year of the Four Emperors, which I need to get my hands on very, very soon. I want to thank Post-Apocalyptic Pod for tweeting about us, the Morbid Curiosity Podcast, and just today, the When Diplomacy Fails podcast for tweeting about us. Thank you, guys. That is super awesome. We are starting from scratch, and you have made it super, super cool. We also need to thank Daryl Martins for being an audio wizard and fixing the audio files that we've chosen to use for this show. And uh, Jeff Stormer of Party of One for a baller audio tutorial. That thing is awesome. So if you're looking to start a show, uh, check that out. So if you want to find out more about us and uh, listen to us tweet or whatever, make silly posts about things, we are at PontifaxPod, P-O-N-T-I-F-A-C-T-S-P-O-D, on all platforms. Our email is PontifaxPod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Do you want to keep hearing us laugh until we cry? Do you want us to edit that out? Let us know. We're we're having fun with this, but we are open to feedback. We are open to people reaching out. Ask us questions. Let us know who your favorite pope is. Who do you think, going into this blind, is going to be the popiest pope that ever poped? We all gotta have our bets down. What's your Mad March Pope bracket look like? Exactly. Let us know. And with that, thank you and goodbye. Mm -hmm.